Welcome back to a new episode of Engage, a podcast from the CIPR. In conjunction with the CIPR's 75th anniversary celebrations, today's panellists explore the challenges that they've experienced throughout their careers and how they compare to those entering the PR and comms industry today. Discussing the challenges of the evolution of technology and increasing diversity and inclusion and how these, along with many others, are still key areas of focus. Hi everyone, my name is Cal Behrens and I'm an account manager at Outright PR. We are here today to have a lovely chat about, I guess, the development of the PR industry um, over the last few decades and kind of where the industry's headed. I'm joined today by a absolutely incredible panel and I'm going to briefly hand over to each of them to introduce themselves. Um, Eva, would you mind going first? No, not at all. Uh, my name is Eva McLean. I specialize in reputation management and issues management and stakeholder management as well. I've worked in the UK, but also internationally, luckily enough. And I've been a CIPR member for more years than I care to remember. And I've been fairly active in it, uh, certainly since 2012, I think it was. I've been on the board several times on a coordinating committee with Maria, which we're still on at the moment, and very active in the international group, which I actually relaunched um, and is now going very, very well indeed. Thank you very much for that. Uh, I'll, I'll pass over to Maria. I'm Maria Chan-Mugam. I'm director of Clevercoms, which is a management consultancy in the telecoms and tech sector. And I do do PR work for clients, which is mainly marketing communications or reputation management and overseeing uh, stuff for them. But it's not as much as I used to a long time ago. And my involvement with the CIPR, I've been a member for, oh, I saw my certificate today, just to remind me, um, associate member 1990 and full member since 1991. Tony, thank you for joining us as well. Hi, thanks, Carl. Um, I'm Tony Bradley. I think of myself as a grizzled old veteran of the uh, PR industry. I've been a CIPR member for about 36 years now and a volunteer uh, throughout that time. I've been regional chair. I've been honorary treasurer. I was national president back in 2006 or seven, I think it was. And uh, my most recent appointment was as chair of iProvision, the CIPR Benevolent Fund. Stepped down from that at Christmas because I'd done two four-year terms, which was the maximum that was that was permitted. I think I'm in the autumn of my career now. Um, I still have clients. I still am at my desk most of the working day. In the past, I've worked in-house and as a consultant, um, like Ava, done a lot of uh, international work uh, for the likes of Ernst & Young, Essity, IBM, Ford, Ray-Ban. So I've uh, I've been around the block once or twice anyway. Fantastic. And I'd just like to say it's, it's absolutely fantastic being in um, this kind of room with all this experience because as someone who kind of began my career as a journalist and relatively recently, even more so coming over to the UK from Australia in the last few years. It's it's just great having this experience available to us. I, I'd like to start, Tony, probably with you. Uh, how did you initially get into PR? Uh, well, like you, I was a journalist originally. Um, I went to uh, college, did the uh, one-year pre-entry course in journalism, and then a two-and-a-half-year indentures, which uh, I always think of as more like an apprenticeship, really. Um, Passed my journalism qualifications, and to be honest, I quickly got bored. I was working regional newspapers. I found that I was doing the same old stories every year. You know, every Christmas we do a Christmas story. Every summer we do a summer story. And I thought there has to be more to it than this. 
And uh, I mean, we're going back 40 something years now. And uh, there was this new career, public relations, which um, had only just really started to gain traction outside of central London anyway. And I thought, sounds, this sounds interesting, um, you know, dealing with journalists, but not being a journalist. And uh, I applied for and got my first uh, first job in public relations with the Automobile Association, which involved me moving down to London. And, uh, and it was everything I thought it would be. I mean, it was, uh, I was working with journalists, you know, going out and drinking with journalists, um, doing a bit of writing, doing a bit of travel. And, uh, and I have to say the money was far better. Um, I remember my exit interview at the Shields Gazette, which was my, uh, the evening newspaper where I served most of my journalistic career. Uh, the editor called me in for the exit interview and said, can I just ask you, you know, public relations don't know much about it. How much do you get paid? And I remember at the time I said, mm, I think I get £2,000 joining fee or joining bonus and 7500 a year. And he said, hmm, I can see why you're leaving the Gazette now. That's actually more than I get paid. So he, uh, he shook my hand and wished me well. And uh, the rest is history, as they say. Maria, was it a, a similar set of circumstances for you? Uh, no, I didn't really know anything about PR when I was in university. And I had thought I'd quite like to work in um, sort of news production or something like that, you know, create, I suppose now we use the word creating content, but that wasn't what it was, a, it wasn't a term we used back then. Um, but it was, that was what interested me. And uh, I was um, told by somebody in the ethnic minority unit at the BBC that because I wasn't Oxbridge, I didn't have a hope. So I sort of had to think about what else I could interested me. And uh, um, just, uh, you know, I, I'd been away for about six months, came back, took the first job I could, which was PA to managing director of a, a you know company. And there I started, I met somebody who started talking about PR. And uh, yeah, so, but I didn't know how you got in. I didn't. And the journey was quite painful. Because you see things in newspapers, you go to interviews with agencies and uh, or even recruitment consultants. And the first one of the early interviews I had, um, the person was quite surprised to see me as the person on the other end of the phone. And it wasn't very pleasant. But uh, I went for an interview with a small PR consultancy. And because I saw that the they were looking for a PA for the MD and she said, I'm not going to take you on. You'll be bored to tears. When I have the money to train somebody, I will call you if that's all right. And six months later, she did. And that was absolutely amazing. And I was jolly lucky to have her as my mentor. So it was um, it was accident, I suppose, learning about what PR was. And uh, it was, uh, yeah, uh, just finding somebody who um, had the confidence to take me on. Absolutely. No, I think that's a, a really key point is kind of getting that foot in the door, isn't it, a lot of the time and just kind of getting that opportunity to kind of make those steps into to the industry. Eva, was it a, a similar situation for you? Um, slightly, but not not completely. I think my story is slightly different as well. So um, I went to university and I studied languages and philosophy, which was sort of not terribly useful. I didn't want to do translation. But while at university, I acted an awful lot. So I ended up deciding I wanted to act and I went out, I got my equity card, toured with a children's theatre, all sorts of things, Soho Fringe Theatre, that sort of thing. And then met my husband and decided I didn't really want to be away. I, I auditioned for some work, which was being away for months and months. 
So I decided I was going to change tack and I had no idea what to do. I also hadn't heard of PR. You know, I didn't know what it was, but I started looking around. I was interested in broadcasting, television, journalism. So I thought PR, when I did look into it, I saw that PR actually covered a lot of those areas. So I decided to, I'd found a PR diploma, which you could do. So that's exactly what I did. And I did that for a year and then applied for jobs. I had a really lovely professor there who was really helpful. And he, in fact, I think he pointed out the job in the, in the paper for me. And I applied and I got it. And I was incredibly lucky because it was a fantastic consultancy off Bruton Place or in Bruton Place, actually. And it really gave me the most fabulous grounding, fabulous mentoring, teaching, without any official official things, but great stuff, great mentors. So yes, that was my entry into PR. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's another key point is this touching back on those kind of mentors and those first people to help you guide you through the industry, especially one that has changed significantly over the last, not even just few years, but few decades. Um, Maria, in, in terms of when you first began in the industry, do you feel that the requirements for becoming a PR or comms practitioner has kind of changed significantly or is it still very much what it was when you started? I think the basics are still the same because what I was told was important qualities were ability to write and appreciation of research, how important that is. And, you know, I had a degree in economics, so that was sort of second nature to me. And uh, the curiosity, those things you need today, very much so, because without that, I don't think you you could be a PR person. But yes, uh, there are other skills you do need today, but the basics, as far as I'm concerned, are still very much the same. Tony, is that something that you ag agree with? The basics are, are still the big foundations that people need to build up? To an extent. I mean, I think, um, you know, as Maria said before, um, a lot of what we do nowadays is about content, whereas we used to call it writing, but it's essentially the same thing. But uh, but I, I do think the uh, the fundamentals have, have shifted slightly in that I remember when I first got into public relations, I mean, as I said, I, I had been a journalist, and so writing came naturally to me. And um, for a long time, I used to subscribe to this idea that um, to be a good PR person, you have to be a former journalist. And to be honest, I mean, as as happened quite a lot in, in in the days when I was when I was young, careers developed very very rapidly. I mean, if you got into PR when I did, if you were good, you would quickly sort of up the uh, up the promotion ladder. And I, I was managing director of a sizable PR company at the age of thirty three, which was ridiculous. I mean, I knew nothing about anything other than PR. I couldn't read a spreadsheet, couldn't read a balance sheet, um, had no idea about recruitment or HR or whatever. So it was, a, it was a ridiculous situation. But in fact, looking around the industry, there's an awful lot of people like myself who are in exactly the same position. And so as I say, because I was the boss, I was in charge of recruitment. And uh, it was only one time I looked around the office and realized that everybody in the office was like a clone of me. They were all men. They were all dark haired with a mustache, married with kids and a former journalist. And we, we, we sort of got our heads together and said, this can't really be right. I think we need to perhaps broaden the base of our business. And it was at that time that um, PR started to become much more of a female profession and um, universities were starting courses and whatever. And suddenly there was this whole new world of young, often female people with comms degrees and PR degrees and whatever, 
event management experience or whatever. And it was a totally different world to us. And I think that's when we shifted from really being a media relations company to being a PR company. And it's when we sort of broadened our recruitment base. Absolutely. I'd, I'd like to touch on a point that you made there, Tony, in terms of the changing kind of demographic or base that the PR industry has kind of seen, especially over the last couple of decades. As it was key in the 22 State of Profession report done by the CIPR, a key challenge has been a lack of kind of diversity amongst PR and comms professionals in leadership roles. Uh, Maria, is kind of this working towards that next step? Is this something that needs to be done more? And what has changed recently, do you think, in the industry? I think recently, bodies like the CIPR have become more aware of the lack of diversity across the board because... Diversity isn't just about women, it's about so much more. And uh, often people see, oh, yes, we have a few women there. So, okay, we're really good. We're really good, you know. But diversity is a lot more than that. And I think the CIPR has been very recently, in the last five years or so, been working very hard towards it. And yes, in recent years, I have seen significant improvement, which is why I am more engaged. And the reason I wasn't engaged was because... I remember being a young member and going with one of my directors to, um, we belong to the property and construction industry group, the CIPR. And we were the only two women in the room and there wasn't anyone else who was a person of colour. And it was very uncomfortable to be a young person. And, you know, the whole kind of the attitude was quite patronising because we were different. Well, I was very different. And it put me off. And I would go for training because that was important. I then belonged to the marketing communications group several years later, which was absolutely fantastic. And that was, uh, you know, really good people. But then that was predominantly women on the committee, my recollection. And but that kept me engaged, that and the training. And it was only when I also felt nobody reached out to you. So nobody understood why you weren't participating. Uh, Because it was almost like, yeah, we're taking your money, that's fine. Um, And yes, we give you some training and you must be happy if you're carrying on paying. But it's only in recent years that there has been more understanding that they need to deliver a service, they need to understand the needs of their members, and they're working jolly hard. And I have, you know, it is testament to the team in-house of how much things have evolved. Yes, there's work to be done. They're on the right track, in my my experience, anyway. That's certainly true. From I can see that CIPR has made huge changes in that respect recently, and it's still working hard on it. I mean, there's lots of things that are going on which people don't really know about yet, which are aiming towards much better diversity and inclusion. And of course, when when I started, there was very very little diversity. I mean, there's still extremely little. But it wasn't just diversity in terms of ethnicity, but also in terms of background. So the company that I joined was exclusively public school and terribly well connected. And, you know, and goodness, if you pronounced a word wrong, then, you know, you were frowned upon and laughed at. So, so, I mean, although it was a great company, there were certain things which were definitely not right. And women, I mean, I think the attitude towards women has changed tremendously as well. Because when I started, I got put onto a perfume account and a fashion account. And I thought, I mean, I love dress, dressing and art 
nicely. I love fashion, but I do not want to work in fashion. So I spotted an engineering account, which I really wanted. It was the largest account in the company. And I went to the director on the account. I said, look, can I learn with you? Can I work with you? And he said, oh, really? Yeah, okay. Go and ask the MD. And I asked the MD. And the MD could not have been more surprised and astonished and dumbfounded. He said, why do you want to work on that? You know, you're working on this and that and the other. And I said, that's, that's what I want to do. And the attitude towards women then was that you, know, you simply didn't work in anything like engineering or construction or property. That was jobs for the boys. So thank goodness that's also changed a lot. My experience at work was very different because I was working for an all-woman consultancy in the property and construction sector. And yes, we were a novelty when we went into meetings with our clients. But the fact was my two directors had come from a construction, a very large construction company from the you know, marketing department of a large construction company. So they were well known in the industry and people trusted them. And so people began to trust the rest of us. And it, what was amusing was that we, um, I tended to get a lot of the professional services clients because a firm of solicitors who specialised, city solicitors, and so not any, you know, they were quite tough nuts. They asked for me because I had a serious degree. Everybody else in the company either didn't have a degree or had a degree in English, and I had a degree in economics. So they thought I was the right person for them. And so did the quantity surveyors. So I got to work on some really tough accounts and I loved it. <laughs> raises another good point about the kind of wider backgrounds that we all have when we're entering the industry. I know with our agency ourselves, it's we've got a nice diverse split of people who used to be journalists. We've got people who have went to university to study public relations now. And then it's just kind of developing that wider skill set because um, everyone has different opinions or different ideas that come to the fore. Eva, what is the importance, do you think, of having that kind of wide skill set at, at an agency or a consultancy? It's hugely important. But I mean, PR, don't forget, can be so many different things. I mean, if you are working in, in fashion, for example, your day will be completely different from somebody who's who's working in, in property and construction, clearly. so, But you do need to specific skill sets, definitely, and, and you need to keep up with them and develop them. I think that's hugely important, which again is something the CIPR is very good at, and you know you can do a diploma, a chartership, and all sorts of things. So it's very, very important that you actually develop those skill sets, and they're varied depending on the sort of work you do. But I did like Maria's comment about curiosity because I think that is just essential for any good PR person. You've got to be curious. You've got to really want to understand the client, not at a sort of superficial level, but to really delve into the industry that they're in and the problems which they face. Because to me, PR is all about solving great hairy problems. That's what we do and finding the solutions. I really like that. And I do think it's a, it's absolutely vital, isn't it? Having that that sense of curiosity to understand what's going on and, and figure out the you know key issues of, of clients or individual practices. Uh, I'd like to kind of slightly go on a, a tangent towards that as well and ask uh, Tony, in terms of continuing professional development, well, curiosity may not be something you can necessarily train overnight. What 
do you do to approach you know continual development of your own skill set? Um, I'm probably the wrong person to ask uh, this, this question about because uh, for a long time I've thought, well, I haven't really got much more to learn, you know. But uh, but no, I do. I've been joking apart. I do subscribe to the, this idea of lifelong learning, and uh, I've always I've been lucky enough to actually always spend a lot of time with people much younger than myself. Um, I've been heavily involved in. Um, PR degree courses in one university in the Northeast in particular. And so spent a lot of time with bright young students and uh, they all thought I was teaching them things. And in fact, often it's not the reverse was the case. And a really good example of this is um, just as I was about to become CIPR president. So as I say, that's what best part of um, 15, 20 years ago, I was approached by one of the students that asked me how I was looking to make my mark on the CIPR. And uh, he said, you should really look harder at engaging with the membership, he said, because I've only been in this PR game for a year and a bit. He said, but I just think the CIPR is not engaging, well, certainly not with us as students. And he said, when I talk to other people around the Northeast, um, he said, the CIPR is still seen as being very London-centric and isn't really engaging with them. And um, he said, I've got an idea for you. You should um, start blogging. And uh, and at the time, I mean, you know, going back a few years now, blogging wasn't something that everybody did as a matter of course. And um, he said, social media is going to be a big thing in our industry. And I listened to what he said, and I sort of thought, A, I'm not sure I understand what he's saying to me, but B, I'm not sure I agree with it anyway. But I, I sort of give a lot of thought to it. And uh, this young chap, he, um, he, he kept pushing at it. And uh, when I became president, I, I had my first sort of meeting down at uh, headquarters and said, um, I want to start a president's blog as a way of engaging with um, with our membership, and everybody poo pooed it. And I remember the um, the webmaster said, "Oh no, we can't do that." And I thought, "Okay, this is it. I either make a play for this or not." And and sure enough, um, it happened, and it was immensely successful. I mean, we got so many plaudits from bloggers around the world who said this is an amazing thing to be doing. It turns out the CIPR was the first. Institute in the public relations institute uh, in the public relations industry to engage its membership via social media and, and, and blogs, and you know we look back now and think, well, that can't be right. You know, surely everybody was doing it, but the fact is they weren't. You know, so I, I think back to the student in question who went on to work a, a very good career himself um, in the social media sort of scene and PR industry, and I think, well, had I not been sort of keen to learn and and thirsty to, to sort of learn new things in spite of my advancing years, I wouldn't have had that conversation with Stephen. I think, you know, we'd have missed a trick. And I think we'd all have been a lot, a lot poorer for that. I find that really fascinating considering there's a, even a lot of clients these days would go, oh, well, a blog or, you know, web news is such a second nature thing to have. It's almost not even a consideration at this point, but kind of drawing it to kind of those lines 10, 15 years ago, it, it is something that just shows that PR is an ever-changing landscape. Eva, what kind of typical challenges or priorities did you have to deal with in, in your role throughout the industry, even over the last you know, 10, 20 years? And do you feel that many of them are still kind of consistent challenges that you have to overcome in the industry today? Certainly in terms of um, technological innovation, that's something which I've quite enjoyed getting to grips with. I'm not as good as as some people are. But on the other hand, you know, when I think about it, I was a very, very early adopter of, for example, of emails. And I remember talking to two of my journalist friends uh, at a party conference, and I very excitedly said, you know, I've actually 
just got an email address. And he said, God, God what on earth for? It's absolutely useless. You know, I said, you wait, you'll see. It's actually going to be very, very important to all of us. And that was just email. You know, I think AI and technological innovation, I think that's a huge challenge for everybody now. And, you know, that's where we need to really try and understand much better where we're going to be going. But in the past years, there is one challenge which I've particularly experienced. And that's been when PR isn't involved early enough. We're very often brought in to either firefight, you know, they've had a crisis, help, what do I do about it, you know, or, or they've got a problem with their reputation suddenly. But, you know, we need to be brought in right from the start. It's it's to do with having a, a seat at the board boardroom table to some extent, but it's actually just to be treated um, with seriousness and as, as a real sort of um, management necessity. It's not just a benefit, it's a necessity. We have to be there from the beginning and be able to help shape the company's uh, future, if you like. That's absolutely understandable. And I, I do think you touch on a, a, a good point there in terms of the development of social media and, and technological innovations has been a, a consistent thing that a lot of people are obviously focusing on. And now with the rise of AI, it's another kind of key area where people are going to look to see how they can develop their skill set with that it's clear that technology and the introduction of social media have been kind of two major introductions that have shaped the outputs of PR and and comms. Maria, what's been your experience of the kind of changing landscape of of outputs in PR well, and comms? It's um, the challenge comes with um, the challenges. I would say in that sort of thing is client specific, the sectors that they work in, the businesses they have, and it's. Sometimes uh, knowing that you have to you have to engage on social media, but how is it going to be appropriate for that particular organisation? And uh, some of the, quite a lot of the work I do is very with people. There are a lot of confidentiality issues um, because coming from it from a management consultancy point of view, I work on due diligence, and there are things that you just cannot talk about. And the client I specifically work on PR for um, overseeing their PR. It's knowing how, because there's an awful lot of, because they're in the tech sector, there's an awful lot of things that are very confidential in what they're dealing with, um, you know, how their products evolve, the technologies involved, and and it's understanding how to get them to engage with social media and giving them the confidence that it's actually, there are areas that they can talk about and educating them in those areas rather than having them think that no no it's I've got to my whole world has to be about you know out there I've got to tell the whole world and I can't do that Um, and it's going to take my you know it's going to take somebody 24 hours a day to work on this because they've got to be on social media all the time it's just helping educating and that's been the challenge that given the sort of clients that I work with how do I educate them to have confidence in the way things are evolving. Now, they understand AI. It's what they do. But it's explain, you know, but it's the more public side of public relations um, that I need to educate them on. And uh, and I think, yeah, that's where um, challenges arise. Tony, is that something that you've also experienced? Yes, but in fact, I, what I'm more interested in just sort of talking about 
immediately is some what I thought was interesting was when you start talking about challenges and whatever, people immediately jumped onto technology as, as being a challenge. And I, I would sort of take the opposite view. I, I think technology isn't a challenge. I think technology has really unlocked the power of the of the PR industry. I mean, like Ava with uh, her being the first person she knew that had an email address. I mean, I remember going back, it must be 40 years now, um, I was working in a consultancy in London and uh, the boss was an early adopter like Ava is. And uh, we walked in the office one day and there was this huge machine in the corner and we all said, what's that? And he said, it's an electronic mail machine, telecom gold. And it was something that BT was selling and uh, to anyone foolish enough to buy one. And it cost an arm and a leg. I mean, it cost, I think it cost them as much as a company car would have cost. And uh, it sat in the corner. I remember the guy who came in to train us on it. Um, and it was an email machine, basically. And, um, he was sort of saying, oh, this is fantastic, state-of-the-art and whatever. And he said, oh, it's a directory of users. And he left that with us. And we looked at the directory. And the only people that were in anything like our sector was the Daily Telegraph news desk. And they were the only user of this in the, in the entire media world. So we looked at this and thought, well, this is fantastic. We now have a direct line at the Daily Telegraph news desk. And so just like us, they were newfangled with it. So every time we sat down and sent them a press release, they would use it because they were so excited at the idea of getting this press release via um, via this new sort of email thing. But I, I do think technology, it would certainly transformed the way I I worked. And uh, and I, I think, you know, I would say the same principles apply. I mean, I remember a long time ago, I um, I was at a conference and I had a phone call from a client um, who said, Look, I've, I've got a major issue. Um, we're being criticized for X, Y, and Z. Can you knock us out a quick press release? And I said, yeah, yeah, no problem. I'll... Uh, I'll email it across to you later. And um, so I um, I rattled out a press release, sent it across. It was um, it was just what he needed. We used it, sort of nipped potential issue in the bud. And he rang me up the next day and said, Tony, just thanks for yesterday. He said, because you're not in the office, are you? He said, I'm, I'm really, really grateful that you were able to sort of get that sorted. And he said, do you fancy a beer? And I said, well, if you've got time to jump on a plane. He said, why, where are you? I said, I'm in Croatia at a conference. And he said, um, but what about the press release you wrote? Yes, I said, I wrote it on my Blackberry on the beach. And he was sort of just totally blown away by this idea that I was sitting on a beach um, in Croatia with a Blackberry, if you're old enough to remember then, writing press releases. And it was only after that I sort of start to realise that, you know, this is the future. You know, we don't need to be chained to a desk. And uh, I think I like to think of myself as one of the original road warriors, you know, give me a laptop and I'll work from anywhere. And that was... That was the way I developed um, my business. In fact, um, I'm currently, the consultancy I'm, I'm currently running, I mean, it's a, it's a cloud-based business. And when I set it up 12 years ago, people said, what do you mean it's a cloud-based business? I said, well, I'm actually, I've sold my business. I've taken a couple of clients. I'm working from the back bedroom at home, but that sounds a bit naff. So I'm describing it as a cloud-based PR company. And it was first in the UK. And, uh, and that sort of did me, did me well for a few years because I got a lot of bits of business on the back of people who were just, intrigued as to what it was all about. But as I say, um, you know, this idea that technology is something to be worried about, I think it's a total, total non-starter. I think you should look the other way. And I think, you know, the same thing applies to all of these um, new technologies that are coming along. And it's, it's encouraging to see that, you know, some PR companies are latching onto the likes of TikTok and whatever and using it to promote their clients rather than sort of say, ooh, I don't like the look of this. This, is, um, this, th this isn't what we need, you know, and I think, it's all part of this changing skill set, isn't it? I think, uh, you know, if the, if the industry is going to move along, I think that's the way we need to be uh, doing it. 
it's about educating the client, isn't it? About how it can work for them. So don't be afraid of it. It can work for you in some way. Absolutely. I'd just like to kind of, I think, touch on the, the last bit of your point there as well, Tony, in terms of the the fact that it's helping kind of make strides towards the, you know, the, the growth and the development of the industry to adapt with modern times. Eva, with the CIPR celebrating its 75th anniversary this year, what do you think have been some of the real strides of the, the profession over those last kind of few decades, in your opinion? Oh, it's been unrecognisable. It's changed so much, I think, um, the CIPR itself. I think in terms of uh, the profession, it has become far more professional. I think that that's really a huge advance. I mean, you know, we used to get trained by various people and, you know, and as I say, in my case, it really was very good and I ended up writing, you know, semi-decently. But now... I think that accent on training is far, far greater. The understanding, there's far more academic books being written about PR. There's more understanding of PR. Um, certainly the emphasis on ethical behavior, I think, is very important. So that's a huge change, I think. And and again, I think it um, separates us as CIPR practitioners and in, in, in PR practitioners if we're CIPR members we're not the same as everybody else. We do have a code of conduct and we do have to step up to the mark. So I think that's very, very different. The chartership as well, because that in our profession is very important. I think it's what differentiates us from any other PR practitioners and from any other uh, body as well. And it, in, in by doing the chartership, you are saying that you actually have achieved a certain standard. And it concentrates, for those who don't know, on strategy, ethics and leadership. And it just, we've got far more people chartered now than we had, you know, even when I was uh, on the board, which was 2015, I think, you know, that we've grown exponentially and I think it's really good. And this year, I know that um, iProvision, I think it was, that offered 75 charterships at £75, which is a brilliant move. I think they've sold out already, unfortunately, but it's a really, really good move. So I think all of that uh, um, has meant such positive benefits to to us as practitioners, but also to the industries as a whole. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Tony, just kind of going down that, that limb with uh, Eva's mention of iProvision there and uh, the work that the CIPR has done in terms of increasing access to chartership and kind of more professional development, is there anything you personally hope to see more of in the future in terms of the, the industry itself? Um, I think diversity is something I've put a lot of um, attention, I've given a lot of attention to, put a lot of effort in over the course of the last few years. I mean, one of the things that was very apparent to me when I uh, came, when I joined iProvision initially and became chair four years ago was uh, just how badly the iProvision board reflected the membership and a couple of us got our heads together and said, you know, we've got to change this. This is ridiculous. I mean, we, we were so much of the stereotype of um, pale, male and stale that it was it was almost a joke, you know. And so we've put an awful lot of effort over the last two or three years in diversifying our board and trying to make it look more like our membership. And I think we've, we've achieved that. Um, it wasn't easy because I think for the sort of reasons that um, Maria outlined earlier, you know, um, a lot of um, people who were underrepresented weren't keen to put themselves forward. 
What I would like to see, well, certainly what I'd like to see iProvision do is some moving forward on on the whole social inclusion agenda. And this is something that um, my uh, my successor, Kevin Taylor, is leading on. Um, and Steve Shepperson-Smith is very, uh, very involved as well. So I think between the two of them, if they can't crack it this year, we'll, ne- we'll never achieve it. And so the idea is that um, iProvision is creating a new fund, setting aside um, £75,000 to be spent on improving um, social inclusion and making it easier for people to get into public relations. And, you know, I'm not just talking about ethnicity. We're talking about the white working class man from the north of England who never dreamt he could work in PR. And it's 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 just reaching out to those sorts of people and saying, look, you know, what are the barriers to you getting a job in PR? And uh, let's dip into the fund and see how we can help. And it's, it's very much a pump primary exercise. What we're looking to do is to work with consultancies who say, well, Actually, we, we are interested in taking on an underrepresented minority and, and perhaps helping them into the into a career. If we give them a job, you know, we can get CIPR to waive the membership um, fees. We can get free training for them. We can pay some of their transport costs, perhaps in getting from one side of town to a job in at the other side of town. And I think you know this this year there seems to be a real will in uh, broadening the um, the influx of underrepresented minorities into the PR profession. And uh, I think if we achieve that, um, I'd be a very happy man. Absolutely. Just to to finish up, Maria, is that kind of a a statement of the future that you agree with? Yes, I do. I think um, it is very important. And it it was quite sad when I looked at recent research that CIPR um, did, that we've actually taken a few steps backwards, both in terms of social inclusion and ethnicity. And so I think that's important if we are to serve our all of, you know, if the industry is to serve uh, the world, to serve society and our client bases, you have to have diverse thinking. And hopefully it'll also help for people to take us more seriously because I know the CIPR is working very hard, but being a member, being qualified is still not being taken uh, seriously or is not considered important in many sectors. And just this week, I had, uh, um, I was amazed that somebody I was talking to, well, not I was talking to, somebody who works for me who didn't know what chart PR was. And it came about because our past, one of our past presidents is speaker at my next um, dinner. And he said he actually thought that that was a hyphenated name. And, and this is very, very senior person, a very senior person. And I had to explain. And I come across this all the time. <laughs> so I think there's a lot more to be done for PR to be taken seriously, for PR for our prof- for us to be seen as a profession. We're the same as a solicitor, as a you know, as a surveyor, as an accountant. And so if we and we have, as Eva said, we need to be consulted very early on. We need to be at the top table. But for that, they need to understand what we're about and that how important education is. And I think that's what I would like to see in the future, the diversity and inclusion, but also the fact that those of us who are members, we are members because we take our profession seriously and we educate ourselves and we're constantly learning and our skills are evolving. Absolutely. I think that's a a perfect note to end on. Um, In in that case, thank you all so much for joining me today on the panel. And thank you again for for sharing your insight with, with our listeners. And thanks again. Thank you.
Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Engage. We'll feature links to resources about chartership, diplomas, and other training in the episode show notes. But remember, don't let the conversation stop there. If you have any tips or guidance for other practitioners or have any comments about this episode, share them on Twitter using the hashtag engage. Thank you.